You're listening to the Film Comment Podcast from the Cannes Film Festival. On today's edition, The House That Jack Built, Asako 1 and 2, At War, Black Klansman, and more. But first, here's a word from our sponsors. This episode of the Film Comment Podcast is brought to you by Mubi. Each day, Mubi introduces a new gem, and you have one month to watch it. Try Mubi free for 30 days at mubi.com slash filmcomment. That's mubi.com slash filmcomment for your extended free trial. The Film Comment Podcast is sponsored by Kino Lorber, presenting Custody. Winner of the Silver Lion at the Venice Film Festival, this French domestic thriller will keep audiences guessing and leave them with their hearts in their throats. In theaters, starting June 29th. Autograph collection hotels are carefully chosen for their unique design, passion for craft, and an inherent connection to the locale. Each hotel has its own exactly-like-nothing-else story to tell. The Autograph Collection Indie Film Project supports independent film and celebrates the power of storytelling to inspire and connect people and places by leaving a lasting imprint. Autograph Collection Hotels, exactly like nothing else. Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast, coming to you at the Cannes Film Festival Day. I've lost count. Um, but it's been a very busy couple of days, uh, many big premieres, and so I've convened an even bigger group, by our standards, of four <laughs> people. Uh, and uh, my name's Nick Rapold, I'm Editor-in-Chief of Film Comment, and I am joined by... Amy Talbin, also Film Comment. Jonathan Romney, also Film Comment. And uh, Eric Hines, uh, Curator of Film at Museum of the Moving Image and also of Film Comment. Everyone, of course, does plentiful other amazing things. Uh, so I'm, I'm <laughs> not just the home team here. Um, so we're, we've got a lot to cover. Um, we have, for example, the long awaited or long dreaded, depending on your perspective, uh, Lars von Trier movie, uh, also the Spike Lee movie, uh, and some other goodies up our sleeve. But I think we'll just get on the Lars von Trier train for a while and see where it takes us. Does anyone want to dive in? That was a premiere last night, press screening this morning, and the first, I don't know, first return for Lars von Trier since his controversial statements. Um, But what did we think of The House That Jack Built? It's a film about a serial killer. And, of course, it's a film about a very verbose serial killer (laughs) who we begin to realize at the start of the film... Um, you know, given a few clues, I think we start to realize that he is on his way to hell and is narrating his life in the same way that the heroine of Nymphomaniac was also narrating her life. So it's a very self-conscious narration. And uh, as usual with Lars von Trier, I think the nature of self-consciousness is that it is basically hellish. And basically the whole film is him kind of, you know, winding himself into his own tortured abyss um, I think to, to less and less effect, didn't you think? I think that this is a truly bludgeoning film, not for the audience because you can just kind of space out, um, but for uh, for him. I mean, he feels the need to bludgeon himself with the with his hatred for creating art which he equates with something like being a serial killer. And his hatred for every kind of art 
that he might love. The thing I hate about this film is that it has ruined some of my favorite music for me because the premise of the film is that serial killing is an art form and it has its parallels to Glenn Gould's torturous version of Bach or how Glenn Gould tortures himself playing Bach. And he ruins a lot of really great music that I never want to hear again for a week at least. <laughs> well, well, like one of those might be Hit David Bowie. Jack. Hit the road, Jack. David yeah. Bowie fame. And the way he uses fame yeah. relentlessly pumping it out uh, with some sort of ironic intent throughout the film. I mean, it's really tedious. But the weird thing is, first of all, I mean, it seems a very odd time to be doing a film about a serial killer. I mean, it seems at least... 10 if not 20 years too late and there is a joke at one point which um, seems to acknowledge the fact that it's been done uh, you could say it's been done to death in Dexter he says I'm not a medical examiner um, but the thing is the film is about five episodes in the life of a serial killer played by Matt Dillon who does horrible things to people mainly women but also children and men this killer um, is um, OCD and has um, various uh, obsessions which are presumably like Lars von Trier's own obsessions. He's constantly um, referring to his work uh, as art but as you said it was also deprecating it as art. I mean the weird thing about it is um, von Trier is to the audience as the serial killer is to his victims because just as they are kind of bound and gagged and forced to listen to his spouting off before he does horrible things to them, um, Von Trier's status in Cannes is such that he's now got a captive audience and he has for years had a captive audience. We will all troop in and listen to his rantings which you know sometimes have been interesting but but this time you know they feel absolutely hollow they feel self-indulgent i felt the film is boring it's repetitive it's pedantic in the end uh he treats us to uh, an epilogue of kind of you know really kind of hideous kitsch i mean some very very strange and beautiful images but very very kitsch and the thing that um is really horrible about it is just this kind of you know, gloating relentlessness. Um, and I was really dreading seeing the Gaspar Noé film uh, in the festival, which predictably turned out to be really horrifying and sadistic, and yet had a real sense of euphoria and a real sense of discovery of the possibilities of cinema. Um, and a very kind of energetic, muscular form of hands-on cinema, where, whereas you feel that Von Trier is just kind of going through the same changes yeah. again in a really kind of numbing and, and numb way. I mean, it isn't coincidental that the serial killer in this has OCD, because clearly Von Trier has too, and it is his downfall. Uh, it's his downfall in the way he dots every I and crosses every T a dozen times in every scene and then goes back to make sure the I is dotted and the T is crossed. And that's always been his mode as a filmmaker, but it's just gotten worse. And the thing is that he's a huge, huge, huge talent. He's always been a huge talent. And so he can do it 
bigger and worse than anyone can. And you sit there and look at it and think, well, the form, it's formed extremely well. It's just awful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it's it is it is interesting to think of there being a kind of OCD aspect to, to this to the cinema and how in the past, maybe that kind of underlining did something interesting, like you could call it Brechtian, you know, mm-hmm. like in Dogville or something, the idea of underlining things and, and emphasizing things and, and how that had an effect. Um, but, you know, maybe with a film like this, it doesn't. And then as a serial killer film. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, David Fincher did 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 seven, um, and in kind of and now has Manhunter. On. And now has yeah, Manhunter, and you know, and then I guess there's the Jalo films where some of them were actually you know influenced by uh, Italian um, artists. And of course, it was Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, which took yeah. place in half the time of this. Right. And also, Mindhunter is brilliant because it does actually investigate not so much the the psyche of the killer but the methodology required to understand the Mm -hmm. mind of a killer so it's actually something new and something revealing but i just felt we were getting the same old cliches pumped out again and yet this idea that a serial killer with ocd would somehow be absolutely meticulous which is you know a long-standing cliche of crime fiction well he's not you know in every episode he seems to be making it up as he goes along i'm talking about the killer but i'm talking about von trier as well and i mean finally the idea of you know the world of you know the human soul the tiger the criminality the violence it's sort of warmed over marquis de sade done in that very sort of strange stilted that language he's been using, almost like kind of the language of the picaresque novel that he's been using since um, Dogville. And there's something very, very stilted and lifeless about it, and, and joyless. I mean, there isn't any sense, even when he's being mischievous, there's no sense of kind of pleasure in the horror. And with Lars von Trier, you know, you know with, with Gaspar Noé, rather, you can actually feel him rubbing his hands together in a very nasty way, but you know he's having a good time, whereas with Trier, it comes across as a bitterly depressing and depressed experience. What, what did we think about the various little other... There are many types of provocations in the, in the movie, but what do we think of ones that maybe seem a little directed to, I don't know, some of the tensions of the time? Like, I, I couldn't help but feel that, you know, having... a, a string of women that he's mutilating seems sort of a directed provocation and at some point the serial killer uh, played by Matt Dillon by I don't even know if we mentioned that uh, you know saying that uh, or, or was it the narrator? At some points, they said men are always guilty. You know, they're always yes, that's guilty. the narrator yeah. who says the narrator that. said us. Okay, so men, men are always guilty, and the women are always the victims. Uh, this, you know, kind of self-pitying. I don't know what you want to call it, but definitely that's an, another kind of provocation again. And he also returned to the scene of his crime here by bringing up architecture, uh-huh. atmosphere. Right. And concentration camps. And couldn't not touch that. Yeah, and I felt actually that the, um, the insertion of Holocaust footage here was, you know, just the greatest insult. It was, it was ugly and it was, you know, gratuitous. Mm-hmm. But you don't use Holocaust footage for those kind of gratuitous flourishes. So I don't know how long do we <laughs> want to subject ourselves uh, to this. Maybe it's a long film, too. It's, it's a long film, yeah, definitely. 
The Autograph Collection Indie Film Project celebrates the synergy between independent film and autograph collection hotels. Indie filmmakers and screenwriters tell stories that inspire and connect us. And at Autograph Collection Hotels, storytelling is in our DNA, enabling travelers to connect with each other and places around the world in a memorable way. This dynamic cultural program is anchored in three key programs, screenwriters in residency, free indie films streamed at hotels throughout the U.S. and Canada, a portfolio of beautiful hotels and key film festival destinations. Learn more by visiting autographcollectionhotels.com. Autograph Collection Hotels, exactly like nothing else. The Film Comet Podcast is sponsored by Kino Lorber, presenting Xavier Legrand's Custody. This French domestic thriller about a bitter custody battle will keep audiences guessing and leave them with their hearts in their throats. Sight and Sound called it, quote, the most dazzling fusion of grim social realism and giddy genre thrills since Christian Monjou's Four Months, Three Weeks, and Two Days. Winner of the Silver Lion for Best Director at the Venice Film Festival, Custody opens June 29th at IFC Center before expanding to select cities. While we're here reporting from the Croissette, those who aren't with us can still enjoy the films of Cannes. Mubi is presenting a fantastic lineup of favorites from past years of the festival. Now showing on Mubi is Jacques Audiard's A Self-Made Hero. This story of a charlatan turned war hero is microcosmic reflection on France's own missteps in World War II, starring Mathieu Kassovitz. Discover this along with 29 other hand-picked films streaming right now on Mubi for free. Just go to mubi.com slash filmcomment to claim your extended 30-day free trial. Um, so, well, you know, there's another... That was actually a, a big a big night because mm-hmm. you had a Spike Lee uh, new film earlier in the evening. Um, and Black Klansman, I'm not sure how to pronounce it because the... Three Ks. Three Ks. Um, that was earlier in the evening. Um, who wants to begin with that? Uh, 1970s, uh, a black police officer attempts to bust the local... KKK branch in where are they? Colorado. Yeah, Colorado, Colorado Springs. Colorado Springs. Yeah. yeah. And um, David Duke features as a character, and apparently it all really happened. Yeah, yeah. And I think he wrote about it. Yeah, the, it's based on his book. It's based yeah. on the, the real memoir. guy. Yeah. By Ron Stallworth. Yeah. I think it's tremendous film. I mean, I think it's. Um, going to be seen really differently in the U.S. than it is seen here. Um, all through it, I kept saying, God, I wish he could get a grip on the tone. The tone keeps shifting from, is he trying to do Saturday Night Live? Or And then there'd be these amazing scenes, acted scenes, between, um, I'm going to block on his name, but he's a great actor, uh, Denzel's son uh, is amazing. Uh, Denzel Washington has a son who's been in, he was the star of Ballers, right? He used to be a football player originally before he became an actor. And he's amazing in this, and so is Adam... uh, Adam Driver. Driver. And they have scenes together that are just like the most brilliant naturalism, film naturalism. And then you have the Ku Klux Klan, and they're fools, but you don't know if they're supposed to be Saturday night parodies of fools or he wants them to be fools. And then the whole thing 
Then there's a payoff, and I don't want to say what the payoff is, because you should be surprised by it, but there's a reason when you get to the end of the film that all of this has made you tempt to think, oh, it's trivial, or I could laugh at it, because then you realize that this is no laughing matter in a particular way that's so powerful because of what he allowed himself to do all through it. I just think it's an amazing film. There is a very clever thing he does at the beginning, which is there's um, a clip of, I think it's taking place in, it's actually in, it meant to be in the 50s, but certainly before the 70s, but there's a clip of an extreme right demagogue uh, giving a speech about uh, you know how white America must resist the black tide, and he's played, of course, by Alec Baldwin. And of course, the first thing you think now when you see Alex, Alec Baldwin is who he plays on Saturday Night Live, and that tells you straight off what the film is really about. So it's not just uh, a sort of 70s retro episode. It's a really, you know, very angry, very biting uh, piece of it's still satire, mm-hmm. but um, it's uh, it's a very strong commentary. I like the fact that it's very kind of on the nose. It's almost got a kind of comic strip um, quality to it, a definite sort of touch of B movie. Uh, but you can feel the the spikely anger, which doesn't always come across as absolutely cogent. And it, it, this film reminded me, in a way, of Bamboozled, which felt very much like a kind of scattershot mess. But it's, here it's really kind of honed, and you know exactly what he's saying, and you can feel from the start exactly why he's saying it. And he does it, I think, very compellingly. And it's a really enjoyable film as well. Amy talked about the tone, and I think that uh, that's really central to why I struggled with the film. Um, because I just felt that I felt like it was undercooked on the script level, and I also feel like the execution um, he never quite settled on um, from scene to scene what this film is. Um, I know that it's fueled by anger, and I know that it's visiting the past um, in a way to speak directly to the to the present. And there are lines throughout the film that are very much baldly meant to be about now. Um, so I know that there's a drive to it and there's an urgency to the film that, and I think Spike in, a, in, a, in an angry mode and Spike in a kind of urgent mode is, is a very important filmmaker. And so I take the film very seriously. I just found it from moment to moment kind of impossible to be inside of it because I just didn't think that any of these people were true well-written, well-conceived characters. I think the actors did the best that they could, and I think they were very spirited in a lot of the scenes, and I agree with the sort of two-hander scenes are really fantastic, and I think they enjoy around, being around each other. There's a joy with these characters, but they're people that always seem like they're, they're like actors in dress-up. I just never believe them. They're, the costuming is kind of absurd. The, the, the comic strip quality to it, which I also sort of was was into or intrigued by but it's just too many things that once worked against me buying into any of it as as a success as 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 a narrative of any sort all the afros actually um that the uh the uh, the black power people are wearing they're all perfectly crafted nothing looks real in the film everything right. looks absolutely kind of sculpted for the camera that's definitely and I just don't it's know a stylistic why, choice but, but I just you're don't know right why. it's a problem like, I, yeah, I just don't know if i knew if i had a sense afterwards what that stylization is about then I think maybe I could have gone for it but I just never felt like it was I was never convinced that it was selling me something in particular if you look at say you didn't know who the Ku Klux Klan were 
And you looked at photographs of those people in those ridiculous costumes. And you had no idea that they were just the most evil people. They would seem ridiculous. Well, there is ri ridiculousness writ across this film. That's what he sees, and it's the banality of evil. You know, that's what this film is. Those people are just fools and freaks and sick, but they are evil and they have done real evil. And the counterforce then, because that's always what happens in the resistance and the counterforce, they take a level of, oh, the Ku Klux Klan looks like evil. Well, unconsciously, my fro looks like, it's not a fro, it's like a tur black turban wrapped around my head. And so everyone is in costume in this film. I mean, and then there's the level of, he's the only African-American, the first and only African-American on the police force in Colorado Springs, and he has to learn how to talk both white, uh, and he also can talk black. It's very strange. This is also his theme, did you see, um, sorry to bother you? Uh, and that guy is black, and he learns how to unleash his inner white voice, and then he is this massively successful fraud. Well, this is partly about fraud, and it's about acting um, and presenting yourself as a, uh, um, yeah. It's also yeah. about the way that the right, uh, or you know, the alt-right, as it chooses to be called now, um, presents itself uh, under the guise of legitimacy and there's there's a really uh, interesting moment there where uh, you know he calls up the KKK and then the guy says don't call us the KKK we don't use that we say the organization and someone points out you know these people are trying to make racism legitimate one day you may even have a president who supports it and of course the black cop says no that's ridiculous that's never going to happen well that's yeah but there's two reasons why that scene really bothered me because it's so so on the nose like there's just literally no level to it which that would have happened in that environment and also the idea of that line being delivered from a white officer to a black officer it's a very bizarre white splaining happening in that moment too that I just found it almost everything about that scene took me completely out it was just meant for the audience to celebrate how we were all in on that dark joke um, sorry Nick you're <laughs> sharing a microphone I, but I mean, I think that that's why that's why the, the, that's why the, the the ending like shakes you shakes you awake. I mean, and this is I mean, I, I, I understand what, what you're talking about, and that's part of the terrible challenge and damage that you know uh, the Trump campaign and, and continuing Trump presidency does, which is that it manages to inoculate its, itself against criticism because it's entertainment, and this is something that people have. You know, I mean, go see Face in the Crowd. You know, I mean, this is not something new. It's just that instead of seeing it in movies, you know, decade after decade in one iteration after another and thinking, oh, it's so ridiculous, that could never happen. The problem is, you know, the, the, the way that the, the dice fell, it finally actually happened. And, and I think that is the challenge that he's, he's, he's going for. And I think as far as how it fits into his career, um, I mean, I think Bamboozled is actually. I actually really like Bamboozled, and I think it's a it's it's a it's a good touchstone for this film. Uh, yeah, and uh, you know, taking off the mask, <laughs> but you need the mask to help explain it. And 
and then the shock at the end is is exactly about how and laughing all the way to our graves. <laughs> and don't forget, he starts the film with uh, "Birth of a Nation," which right. just in this context now looks like the uh, really looks like Saturday Night Live. I mean, how did anyone take this film seriously? Yeah, yeah. yeah that's. I mean, you know, <laughs> I don't have to get to the step where you know comparing to previous dictators, but that's what people always say. Oh, we thought he was a joke. We never took it seriously. You know. It is tough because it is a little disorienting. I understand, Eric, what you, what you're, you know, I think Spike Lee has always heightened the reality of when he goes in the past. I mean, you know, take Summer of Sam or something. I mean, and he does it here, but here it's, it's, it's to really specific um, um, purpose as, as, I, as I felt it. Um, and then the ending, you know, it's funny we segued from Von Trier because uh, I'll just say this was a more effective of this type of ending than how Von Trier did it in the past in another Conrad uh, premiere. Um, maybe we should say what they did. Less peekaboo. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, maybe we should. Okay, sure, go ahead. Oh. <laughs> well, let's well, get to Jeff Charlotte's goal. Well, Who's going to let the cat out of the bag? Um, you could stop listening now if endings are important to you. What he does is he <laughs> takes the footage from Charlottesville. And you've seen that footage a hundred times on TV, but on the big screen and all color corrected, it is, it is the most horrifying thing I've ever seen. And it is happening, it happened. It happened in America. Yeah. Um, this isn't like a joke or, you know. Yeah, and, and, and he starts with the part that somehow really gets <laughs> glossed over effectively in, 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 in the march, which is what they were actually chanting for part of it, which is just like, just un- I don't know. I mean, it's like the time warp to another time, and it's unambiguously terrible and awful. There's no way you could possibly explain it, <clears throat> but to actually hear it as well. I mean, I don't know. It was just stuff that probably didn't even make on the news. Maybe because they didn't even want to put it on the news. They did some, put it on the news, but it, you know, the, it just goes by, yeah. and it then goes by a hundred times, and you've and seen the it a hundred times, and yeah. it's meaningless, and it looks like shit, and <laughs> you know, you don't notice. Yeah, but, but this was on the big screen with every detail and every word clearly audible yeah yeah and he has the real david duke as well so you've seen him as this monstrous character in a kind of cartoonish narrative and then you realize oh my god he's still here today and he's still saying the same things yeah and and i have to say that sort of ending rarely works for me like it always feels like kind of patting it on the back of whoever made the film or the documentary it's like here were the real people that it was based on and it just immediately lets the air out of everything and if there was any in the first place um but for some yeah somehow this this one really hit the nail but eric what's the mic now no i just want to say i I do think that that the success of that ending does i would gather depend on where you're delivered as a viewer at that moment for me it felt unearned and it felt like that footage is incredibly powerful and meaningful and it I'm glad that it's in a movie that people are going to see in, hopefully in theaters or wherever it winds up um, at the same time it it irked me a bit because I felt like it was um, using documentary footage to achieve a gravity that itself w- that it had not achieved within its narrative um, it's not uh, it wasn't offended or it wasn't a problem that it was there but it made it did nothing but cast back at the film that I just saw and wished that I felt some of those things earlier in the movie what's this all right I'm going here we go passing it back okay <laughs> a couple of things one is Jonathan do you want to do you have to do you have to run or do you just 
Okay. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not getting rid of you just because you said. Uh, okay. Um, it's been a pleasure. Yes. Well, as always. That's thank all you. I'll say for that. <laughs> okay. All I'll right. Take well, my leave. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Bye. See you tomorrow. Um, and so that's one thing. Farewell to, to, to Jonathan. <laughs> I just make it sound like he's going away for a while. It's a shame what has to happen to him. But uh, no. Um, uh, and it, the second thing is, I feel like uh, since we've had a spirited debate, uh, which is good, I like that. Eric, is there a movie you want to stump for at this point, perhaps? A uh, movie I want to stump for. I, could I go back a second? Yeah, because oh, sure. I'm really troubled oh. by something you said. Okay. I sure. cannot believe that you said. That Spike Lee, no matter how terrible you thought the movie was, hadn't earned that footage. Well, I, I would never say that Spike Lee hadn't earned it. I think as a narrative, as a fi- as the narrative of the film, okay, you did need not to earn that ending. That. I did. I, I actually did clarify it right after I said that. That Spike, I, I'm glad that it's in a movie, and absolutely, Spike has any right to no, any footage like that. No, you can't say I'm glad it's in a movie. Who are you to say I'm glad it's in a movie? I'm, I'm, this is about race. Oh, but, and but, I really but Amy, am I just, not Amy, having I just it. said that I, was, I want it to be in theaters and I want people to be forced to look at that footage, especially the way that it was edited. Yeah. I thought it was very powerful as, as it was. Yeah. The movie that delivered me to that spot did not put me in that place. I did not feel in that place. And I felt that a See better it. movie would have made that more powerful for me within the movie it, it is part of a movie it's not just news footage it's part of a movie and as the ending to that movie i found that that was not a good right. match but it's no longer move, news footage because of the way it looks on the screen and what he's done to it i mean you are thinking of it as this is documentary news footage this is real and the other part of the movie is not real but this is not realism either because we have never been in the presence of that footage looking like that, looking, having the importance that it has. And therefore, the movie could have been a total piece of shit, which I don't think no, of it course is you know. I know. at all. I know. But to ha- simply to have that mm-hmm. doesn't have to be earned. Well, I effectively said that, that, that it should be there. I just, it made me cast back at a film that it didn't actually land in that place for me. I am always in the place where the, that footage, and particularly as you're describing, color corrected, edited the way that it is presented, was an immensely powerful and moving and important. And Spike Lee has made some of the more important films of the last several decades, and especially documentaries. You know, where the levy, when the levees oh, broke yeah. is a masterpiece that no one talks about, and yeah. they should. Yeah. He's great at it. It honestly, Amy, made me feel like, oh my God, I want him to make a documentary about this. I want a full film of this, because Spike Lee making a movie about this moment using footage like this is a film that I want to see more than I want to see anything. I yeah. just didn't like the film that took me to that footage. He should own that footage, and I, as I said, I would love to see a four-hour version of the, live, the, yeah, the world the that we're is living no in. no one would go to see it, just like, yes, When the Levees Broke is yeah. a great film, and no one's seen it. Right. Yeah. So this is an answer right. to that problem. We need to think a little bit more in terms of form about contradictions. Hmm. Um, and this film in its form, is really about contradictions. There have been a lot of films here based on contradictions, but you never get to the triadic. 
you get to the thesis and the antithesis, but there's no triadic. This film has the triadic. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah, that is, I mean, that is, that's, it is something I, I, I forgot, forgot to mention. Watching just the, you know, the, the narrative of the film, I did think, wow, this, this could really just play. You know, it could just play in a multiplex, and so that, that's, that's how that goes. Right. But we, we've talked a lot about this particular film, and I want to give, give you a chance to, to talk. I mean, you can continue, but I... No, no, of where, course. No, I mean, I think the film that I would want to plug is Asako 1 and 2. Oh, oh, uh, right. I completely forgot about which that. Which I saw yesterday, and I'm, that's right. I'm, I'm somebody who butchers names for a living. Um, but it's Ryusuke, uh, uh, Ryusuke Hamaguchi, is that right? Ryusuke Hamaguchi? Works for me. Um, and... Uh, that is, I mean, describing it probably makes it sound more uh, like a Hitchcock film than it actually is, but there is an element of the uh, sort of loose vertigo aspect of uh, a young couple who meet cute in the beginning and a uh, gentleman who's almost comedically um, young, appealing, and, uh, you know, uh, what's the right word? Insouciant, uh, uh, floats about. Yeah, uh, it's a shaggy Adonis. Shaggy, yeah, exactly. Shaggy Adonis, nice. Um, and makes passing comment to the fact that he might, you know, he comes and goes as he pleases, but he'll always right. return. And at some point, he literally vanishes from the film. And the film continues with our female protagonist then continuing and meeting somebody else who actually looks like him and starts a new life. Right. Um, and, uh, I, I love the film because it, uh, speaking of tone, I actually think that in terms of, of tone, it kind of skirts comedy a little bit. It skirts melodrama a little bit. It's it plays true. a little flatly sometimes. It's not the most sim, like aggressively, visually uh, um, you know, uh, interesting film. But I also, I just found, I was completely hooked the entire time. Um, it the way that it also tonally the way that it uses pop music as well as kind of dramatic suspenseful music at moments too um it's just playing with a lot of things and i just i think the ultimately what what won me over about it is that i found it incredibly wise about growing older and the sort of episodic relationships that we all get in and how we are, especially in cinema where there is this notion of there being an either or there is this man or that man or this path or that path and you know um are you going to let go of the past or are you going to have a future and this kind of scrambles that all up this notion mm -hmm. of we actually don't let go of the past we don't let go of the people we have loved we just continue to live and we continue to live with those memories and with the contradictions and the ambiguities and um there is an element as it goes, especially towards the third act where it kind of keeps going that I kept thinking maybe it's going to end or it's going to end here. It's not going to end there. And it can be a little bit protracted in that way. But I really appreciated that because it only sort of underscored that point for me of this. Uh, we expect the narrative of our lives to involve like decisiveness and we're going to choose a certain path, but it just, it's never actually that clean if we're honest with ourselves we drag things along with us and it complicates the whatever future we've 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 created for ourselves so anyway i think it's really a major film yeah no i i absolutely i i agree i agree with that i it, it was such a puzzling film to me i mean i guess my reaction was the puzzle for it puzzle in this case because i i just couldn't figure out why i wasn't just laughing at it because 
Um, yeah, I that's mean, why I pointed at you because I know you, you mentioned yeah, that to me. I, 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 yeah, I think I'd, I said to you soon after that I just I, I, I said I liked it, but it was at a hair's breadth from just being totally ridiculous. And uh, I don't I don't mean that as a criticism. It, it was just it, it just was able to hang, hang there, and it was you know even coming from like a, a you know uh, with you know <laughs> vertigo is always this this huge thing that's held over any movie with any sort of doubling. You know, even though Fritz. There's a closer one. Which is uh, the Hung Sang Soo, right once, wrong. Oh, of course. yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Do you want to talk about that? Or is it... I don't want to talk about Hung Sang Soo. <laughs> I mean, not that, but. <laughs> oh, I just thought it was terrible. Oh, this movie? I mean, this yeah. film, oh, my this reaction was huh. who did they fuck to get here? I mean, <laughs> really. Wow. wow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I. That's... I just thought this was, the, this was like a student film. Well, um, yeah, and well, it's, it's, it's hung it, like it, in that. I think you know there is there is an element of it being flat. Yeah, it's very very TV like. I mean, I don't know if this is a case where I can argue that part of that form was in the service of that how ordinary the characters are. I mean, because they are kind of aggressively like there's yeah. these kind of you know there's a they have, there's a couple and then they have a friend who's a couple and they're having a baby and they come over and have a boring dinner party where the most exciting thing is when someone says something bad about someone else and then somehow they recover from that. <laughs> and so that it's it's kind of they really drive that home, which is what makes the, the you know the the ultimate ending which I which I do not want to give away because it, it, for me it, it was just just the few, the folly of it was was something kind of startling and spellbinding and ridiculous and still very interesting and t- true and totally fake all at the same time um and and that was enough for me to 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 yeah find some some value uh in in the film the fact that it actually went in the direction of where other films would would want to kind of more contentedly wrap things up that it, it actually went there and then yeah saw what the the after effects might be i mean right. it, could have, it could have been right. maybe harsher but um yeah, i don't yeah. know but th- that yeah but i guess yeah i just I, I related it could be harsher but i also related to yeah again the compromises that we wind up making yeah and this is the director of i always get the previous one wrong. happy hour happy hour which was new york film festival a couple years ago no it was it's, in new directors wasn't it was it? New, directors? new directors okay yeah. correct yeah, all right. new directors. i kind of like that yeah you like yeah. that one i like yeah. that one too mm-hmm. that was also one where they kind of had it was four women and they, you know, very carefully delineated, but also kind of reflecting mm-hmm. in each other and ref- refracting each other mm-hmm. um, in an interesting way. Um, There's a few films like that in competition where the last film kind of made some waves and they're here. Right. Um, That's true. A Long Day's Journey Tonight, I think, is the same. The Be Gone. Who made that, yeah. Kylie Blues. and, oh, and right. would, Although That's Kylie Blues. That's not in competition. That's certain oh, right. That was that a certain right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be another one. Um, to, it's, which, which you were also a fan of. I was. I was. Kylie, Kylie yeah. Blues. Um, not, not, not 100%, um, but it, it, it certainly gets somewhere, um, somewhere I've never, I've never been before in cinema. So I was yeah. appreciative of that. And that's like a, you know, very stylized post-post-noir, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, about a, I don't even know what I would call him, but a guy who's, you know, searching for a woman for the past. Right. And in a sense, what's, what the Zsa Zsanka film reversed, I guess, <laughs> in, in a way, where she was searching for, for him, mm. um, which for me was a more interesting twist in that tradition than right. than right. Uh, for the begone um one uh, yeah for me i like 
the, the ending of, of, of um, Long Day's Journey and Tonight more than the, the beginning. From the beginning. So, no, you're just, right. I mean, one yeah. upends, upends genre convention, the other one really owns, just yeah. goes right, right for that convention. Yeah. Um, and I was, yeah. And also a little similar in that they're, they're both jumping to a different scale. The, the genre was, you know, getting a bigger budget. Um, I mean, he's already had a huge number of films, but still for him, this was a bigger, and for Be Gone, also a bigger in, in, endeavor than, than Kylie Blues. I guess the, what I'm saying is, you know, my position my heart, uh, is in a political and a moral place. And I simply can't understand how a relatively young filmmaker at this moment would spend time and energy making a film about people who care about absolutely nothing except their non-relationship or their relationship and how they fucked it up or making <laughs> it better or was it I mean I just cannot understand that and this is deliberately so mm. uh, this studies that deliberately and it makes me want to puke <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean it is it is yeah willfully sty- stylistic uh, exercise I mean uh, I don't know. I mean, but then what do you say about Wong Kar Wai's films? They're kind of excavating a past, so they still. That was a different period, different moment, I guess. Yeah, they're very excavating memory. Memory, I mean, really. Yeah. And they are all made in relation to the anticipation right. of mm-hmm. 1997 yeah, right. and what will happen, right. and then the aftermath of what is now happening, which is a disaster in Hong Kong. And that's why there are no good Hong Kong films. I mean, there are other things uh-huh. that are even worse, but. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, Truly, that has been. Those films were always deeply, deeply about history and politics. Yeah, that, so that, I mean that—that's where, uh, yeah, the, 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 that's where the criticism that it was style, no substance, didn't didn't really make make sense. Actually, Olivier Assayas just wrote about that a couple issues ago um, um, about Wong Kar Wai. Yeah, uh, self plug for a film <laughs> comment. Um, but but Amy, you did see something that was more politically oriented that you liked. It was Mostly. Stefan Brise. En guerre? At war. At, yeah, war. at, war. at war. At war. At uh, war. With Vincent Landon, um, the great superstar, and the croisette was mobbed for Vincent, who won a palm here two years ago for a similar role in a similar film by this filmmaker. This one is not as good. Um, it's like a chapbook of how you, how you organize a strike, how you talk to all the stages of a strike and handling it and confronting management and at a moment when there is no hope even in France for organized labor. Um, And the film goes totally off the rails at the end. I don't know why he did what he did, so I won't say what it is. Um, But there are scenes in it that I think are just terrific. And Landon is just great. I mean. It's amazing to see a movie star who just plays a regular working class guy who's the big union organizer. There's also one extraordinary moment in this film where they're clearly going to lose everything. And part of the reason that they lose 
they probably would have lost anyway, is that the union itself splits and part of the union wants to take the buyout and push for just more money in the buyout. And Vincent Landon's faction says, no, we're not settling for anything except to get this factory sold to people in France and to have all of our jobs. And when that doesn't work out, he says, you can see that management, that the owners, no matter how much we don't like them, no matter how much they're the enemy, they stick together. They have a position, they bring in one position, and they stick together. And the reason we lost is we were factionalized, and one part of us sold out the other part. And I thought that was just, I'd never seen anything like that. So the film is full of stuff like that. Is a great film? No. And it has a terrible ending. It's huh. interesting. Yeah, it's... I, that's that's one of the one movie I was not able to catch up to today. You can only see so many films. Eric, you didn't. I didn't. didn't I think see it that. might screen tomorrow. I think it's screening tomorrow, which I would like to see. Um, and um, I mean, it's interesting to see. I guess in the past few years, there have been a few, couple of other kind of prominent movies ar- around and about the idea of a strike. We had the Nothing Factory, <laughs> which was yeah. in Director's Fortnight, which was at the top. It was number one on our best undistributed films list yeah. um, last really year. Film. Yeah. So yeah, um, And then, I guess a year or two before that, you had Arabian Nights, yeah. which is kind of around a similar yeah. economic collapse and also mm-hmm. focused on you know, dock workers, uh, or focused on workers, dock mm-hmm. workers. Uh, so it's interesting to see that kind of evolve until we get to this treatment, which it sounds like it's... it's, it's this it's, is France today. France mm-hmm. today, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, uh, with Macron you know, middle-of-the-road guy who's clearly trying to do something to sell out labor. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Mm. Finally, our, our, uh, a new Blair. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. That's what everybody wanted. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, well, we've been going a little longer. This is sort of a jumbo-sized version of the episode, but it was a very busy day. I guess, kind of oddly, just a lot of things were crammed into two days, which... Yeah. I don't think was great for the festival, really. Like, right. I mean, you're kind of pooped out by now, and, and you lose the momentum of the beating. So not only did they start early, but they, you know, a lot of the big things fell a little late. Yeah, well, the, all the films we just described, and the Rohrwacher, and the, um, yeah, I feel like there's even more major yeah. films that happened in the last 48 hours or so. Yeah. So, so, so in other words, we're going to keep talking. So yes. we'll we'll have another episode. Any any final thoughts or? We can mm, no, I mean, I still don't think it's uh, all that interesting uh, can this year, although people think it's good. Um, I just think there are too many really weak films, mm-hmm. and uh, the really good films are far, few and far between, but maybe that's what the landscape is like. Oh, yeah, and I also think this thing about... Um, you know, the women's demonstration and how they got uh, Terry and uh, the people who run this place to say, yes, there will be more uh, diversity or whatever. It's ridiculous because they're trying to have diversity. It's just that they are so bad as programmers when they look at films that aren't, like, pushed on them by MK2 or by uh, Wild Bunch, mm-hmm. and then they're looking at films by 
filmmakers they've never heard of. They just don't know anything. Uh, and so it's not going to solve anything at all. I mean, these guys, and they're all guys, are not going to go out there and find some great films by, you know, unknown voices who right. are speaking from different positions. You have to be different type impossible. of programmers than they yeah. are, is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Because mm. yeah. so to re- achieve that parity, you're going to wind up having films pushed on them by the same people that yeah. happen to be by women. Yeah, and yeah. it's just there. There will be more films like uh, whatever, Daughters of the... Flame or <laughs> girls of the sun. girls of the sun, daughters of the sun. I'm not sure. Yeah, either way. Yeah, yeah. Probably, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's true. Which, yeah. <laughs> well, I guess it's a building year. Is that what the euphemism uh, yeah. is? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's my first, so like oh, I'm impressed yeah. and overwhelmed in various ways. Yeah. Um, which is why I seek out people like Amy and other people who've been here a lot to sort of give me a sense of how this compares to other years because I wouldn't know. Yeah. Well, more to come, uh, and I think that wraps up for today. Uh, and we'll be coming back at you tomorrow. Uh, thank you, Amy. Thank you. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Nick. And thank you, in absentia, uh, Jonathan, who had to go early. Um, but he's very apologetic about that. Uh, we'll, <laughs> and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody. Don't forget to check out A Self-Made Hero, now streaming on Mubi. Claim your extended 30-day free trial at mubi.com slash filmcomment. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash film comment. Autograph Collection Hotels are carefully chosen for their unique design, passion for craft, and an inherent connection to the locale. Each hotel has its own exactly like nothing else story to tell. The Autograph Collection Indie Film Project supports independent film and celebrates the power of storytelling to inspire and connect people and places by leaving a lasting imprint. Autograph Collection Hotels, exactly like nothing else. The Film Comet Podcast is sponsored by Kino Lorber, presenting Custody. Winner of the Silver Lion at the Venice Film Festival, this French domestic thriller will keep audiences guessing and leave them with their hearts in their throats. In theaters, starting June 29th.